The passage is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. So I'm just going to read the prior verses to verse 9, uh, beginning with verse 4. But he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers, the, the other prophets. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. He slept again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. Man, what, what kind of energizing food is that? Like, you just eat twice. That's only twice. And he, he's able to run 40 days. Just walk and run 40 days to where he wants to go. I, I wish, when we go to heaven, I'm going to eat that power bar. <laughs> but I don't want to wait for 40 days. There's going to be a banquet in heaven, right? We're going to eat on a daily basis all kinds of food. Uh, that's awesome. You know that we're going to eat, right? I, I'm kind of hungry right now. So you know that we're going to eat in heaven, right? When Jesus resurrected, he was making fish for the disciples, and he ate in that resurrected body. And that's exactly what we're going to do, too. And we're going to enjoy God's creation. Now, and he rose and ate and drank. Again, I'm going to read that again. And went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb Mountain. Remember that, Mountain Horeb the Mount of God. Now, I'm going to pick up on verse 9, and bear with me. Uh, let's read. You guys are in the Word. So let, let me read to verse 18, 9 to 18, resuming. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, like zealous and jealous for his name, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. If you like the ESV version, there's a footnote in the bottom. This whisper in Hebrew can also mean a sound, a thin silence, a sound of in silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to, the, to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, in Hebrew is very tongue-twisted, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is God's word. My message is entitled, Encountering God. Encountering God. If you grew up in the church, or if you haven't, this, this is a familiar story, right? That Mount Carmel, the, the, the match that he had with 450 false prophets of this false god named Baal. Now, let me just set the context of what, what, what took place as we read, because without the context, you can't understand the text. You know that Israel, under King Ahab and his wicked wife, Jezebel, was, there was this national apostasy. Instead of worshiping the God of Yahweh, the Yahweh, they were worshiping Baal. And Baal was a sun god or a god of fire. And... Uh, Elijah knew his purpose and his calling as a prophet, and that was to turn the hearts of Israel, the northern kingdom called Israel. Remember, there was a civil war. The southern kingdom is Judah, two tribes, 10 tribes in the northern kingdom called Israel. And that's where he was doing his ministry. And so he decided, you know what? Uh, Ahab, you could have the home court territory, home court advantage. Since your God is a fire God, is a sun God, I'll meet you at one of the high mountains so you could, you know, be near to your God, Mount Carmel. Get your 450 prophets, build an altar, we'll both sacrifice a bull on this altar, we'll both pray and cry out to our God, and the God who answers by fire is the one and only true God. And they said, okay. And if you know the story, it's it's hilarious. The the prophets of Baal are calling on, on to their sun God, their fire God, Send down fire, send down fire. Time is ticking, nothing is happening. It's dead silence, crickets are you know, cre- you know, creeping and there's nothing going on. And, and they go hysterical. They start cutting themselves to, as if God's going to wake up. They cut themselves and say, God, yeah, we're sacrificing ourselves too. Answer. Elijah was so confident that his God was the one and only God that he begins to taunt them. Maybe your God's on vacation. In Hebrew, there's an expression of saying, maybe your God is in the toilet. You know, he's kind of busy. He, he's so confident. Right? I love this prophet. You do that today, you get canceled, right? But anyway, he's a prophet. He could probably care less. And he's saying, you know what? Your, your, your God is not listening. It's my turn. He says, before I cry out to my God, pour water onto the sacrifice and even onto my altar. The wood gets soaked. Dig a trench around the altar. The whole place was flooded. The trench was flooded. The sacrifice was wet, soaked, and the altar. Elijah prays. God sends down fire. 
Now, in the Old Testament, fire is almost always about judgment of God. The fire of God. He's a consuming fire. The judgment of God fell on these false prophets. Everyone realized that Elijah's God, Yahweh, was the God that they, they betrayed. Uh, they turned their backs on. They fall, they repent, and Elijah commands the people to execute the 450 false prophets. In the Old Testament time, there was a concept of holy war. In the Old Testament times, the people of God did execute God's judgment. So that's what happened. And you would think, right, this mountaintop experience, literal mountaintop experience, that Elijah would be like, yes, finally, God's people's hearts have turned back. And we could resume the real worship of a real God. Not so. Not yet. Not yet. Ahab, he tells his wife, Jezebel, you, you can't believe what this troublemaker did. He did this, he did that, he, he killed our prophets. Queen Jezebel sends a note to Elijah and says, tomorrow you're, gonna, you're a dead man. You would think that some of you are you know, old school. You would think that he would say, go ahead, make my day. But he doesn't. He runs for his life. He's scared. And he flees the northern kingdom and he goes into the wilderness. And he sits under a broom tree that kind of covers him a little bit. He says, God, kill me. Basically, that's what he's saying. Take my life. Kill me. I'm no better than my forefathers. I'm no better than the other prophets. He leaves his servant also in northern Israel. He's alone. Can you imagine, imagine that picture, just this mountaintop, and how could he just slip so much? How could he just, like, fall so fast, so quick, and to the polar extreme? It's like Peter saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to, yeah, okay, you're partly right, but I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die. No, no, you're not going to die, Peter, big man, I'm, I bet. Get thee behind me, Satan, Right? Almost like, almost parallel in some ways to Elijah's mountaintop. You're God, you're, you're, you're Yahweh. And here he is, God kill me, I'm done. Throwing the, throw the towel. And what I see next going on is just um, the tenderness and the kindness of God. That he would allow Elijah's servant to express what he was really feeling. That he would allow Elijah to say, not God is good all the time, all the time God is good. But that he would allow Elijah to really express his inner true feeling and that was depression, that was burnt out, that was disillusionment, that was discouragement, disappointment at God perhaps, or perhaps even mixture of so much emotion. God, I thought you showed up. I thought we... I did what you were calling me to do. Why, why, why this turn? He's so exhausted, he sleeps. How many of you ever felt so exhausted that you just slept? Uh, I remember um, with my mentor, we were doing like four retreats, four youth group retreats in a row, and we went to New York City, Long Island area. We drove to uh, Buffalo um, to do a retreat, and then from Buffalo, we had to drive all the way down to Atlanta. Because I was his guitar player, I was kind of his apprentice. He made me drive almost all the way. And then when we got to Atlanta, boy, I was spent. I remember sleeping in the sanctuary for like 
for like uh, almost 10 hours straight. Like this was when they were doing something else. That was the most I ever slept. There was another time I slept 18 hours straight, not even bathroom break. Because I've experienced burnt out. I've experienced like trying to run ahead of God. So I, I kind of know what, what it feels like to be so spent that you just collapse and sleep. But God is not done with him yet. He's not finished. He sends an angel, wakes him up, and feeds him heavenly food. Oh, my goodness. I wish I could. Well, we're going to taste it when we get to heaven. It just feeds him and gives him water to drink because he must have been thirsty, too. He eats and he falls asleep again. The angel wakes him up again, second time, feeds him again, and says, you have a long journey ahead. You need the energy. People of God, this is, how, this is who God is. He doesn't let his servants who are disillusioned, who are struggling, who are confused, who are burnt out, perhaps depressed, to be left alone. And, and, and I get part of this insight from Pastor Tim Keller, and he says this is, this is such a, a holistic approach in how God ministers to us when we are in need. You know, I, I, I grew up serving, serving God. My dad was a missionary, so I, I used to suppress my emotion, and especially in my Asian culture, you know, real men don't cry. Emotion, just stuff it down. You just got to do it, bite your, you know, just... Just grind, just press on, forget your personal stuff. You got to serve the church. You got to sacrifice. That's the kind of culture that I grew up in. And I was neglecting my mental sanity, my emotional well-being. I was neglecting also even my spiritual life. Like I was substituting my intimacy with God and my sense of identity and security with God by doing things for God to gain my identity, to gain a sense of approval and sense of significance, when God all along was telling me, you're my beloved. I love you already. It's like Jesus, before he even started his ministry, when he came out of the water in baptism, what did his father do? You're my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Before he did anything else, but I forgot that. I forgot that. I tried to earn his love. I try to get people's likes and people's attention. And, and, and the way that God ministered to Elijah, he wants to minister to you, and that is this. He wants to meet not just your spiritual needs, a fresh encounter with God, but he also wants to take care of your physical, your mental, and your emotional needs. Now, this is not like therapeutic sermon. This is biblical. It's scriptural. Because oftentimes, as Christians, what do we do? When we feel spent, we're mentally drained, we just want to like sit on Netflix and not engage and just be numb, and we medicate ourselves, thinking that a vacation or a medication of these drugs or, you know, not, it's not even flagrant drugs sometimes, it's just Netflix and just doing brainless activity, but we think that if we could only tweak my spiritual life, maybe more prayer life, better prayer life, fasting, maybe go to the next conference, maybe hear Francis Chan, maybe, maybe read the latest bestseller from a Christian author, then all my emotional, spiritual, my mental soundness will come. But it doesn't. I've tried that. 
And I've talked to people who have gone counseling. It has helped them mentally, spiritually, but they needed a break from their 80 hours a week of work. They needed a break from taking care of toddlers and infants. They needed a break to just eat and enjoy God's creation for once instead of always sacrificing. And here's God just meeting his physical need, eat. Here's God meeting his emotional need, sleep. Here's God who will eventually meet his loneliness by giving him another apprentice because his calling was not only to be a prophet but raise up the next generation of prophets. Elisha becomes that person that he will eventually meet and be a friend. But as we read on, he runs or walks and journeys 40 days and 40 nights. And he shows up to a particular cave. We're called at the Mount of Horeb. Mount of Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. That should trigger a lot of things for you, right? That's where Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights. That's where Moses experienced lightning and thunder and earthquake and and received the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, remember? God encountered God, uh, Moses encountered God so much there that when he came down, his, his face was like reflecting the glory of God that people couldn't look at him. Elijah went to this particular mountain because he wanted to encounter God afresh. He was probably comparing himself, compared to Moses, my mentor, my role model, I am nothing, I am pitiful. God, I need what he had, or else I'm not going to continue. I can't. So God says to him and questions him and lets him, lets him complain, lets him express what's going on. I'm the only one left. Did you ever feel like that? I'm the only Christian in my school. I'm the only Christian in my workplace. When there's other seven other thousand people that God has still preserved. To fight the good fight of faith. But we sometimes have this tunnel vision and we think we're the only one out there. And that's how he felt. Because when you're in the valley, all you see is walls. All you see is mountains around you. And all you see is yourself. And that's where he was. And that's where God allowed him to express. But God says, come to the edge of the mountain. And we're told that the Lord passed by. The phrase passed by should also ring a bell. When Moses in Exodus chapter 33 prayed, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now that you're going to go with us and not send the proxy angel because you know, I don't want to go to the promised land. I don't care how good the land is. I don't want an angel. I want you. Remember, Moses wrestles with God. And then he goes, uh, God, thank you, thank you that you're going with us, but I want some more. He says, show me your glory. And we're told that God passed by. Passed by and showed Moses his back because he can't see his front and lives. Well, that's what God is doing to Elijah. I'm going to pass by. So the first thing that happens, he hears a rushing wind, perhaps splitting rocks open. And he said, he probably thought, God, you're, you're in this, this, this earthquake, this sound, I mean, this wind, this, this sound. And we're told that the Lord was not in the wind. And then the next thing that happened it was the earthquake. The mountain is shaking like, like Moses experienced, and we're told that 
the Lord was not in the earthquake. And thirdly, fire. I don't know, July 4th. So there was some kind of just visible manifestations of fire. And, and I think, and I think that Elijah probably said, God, you must, this must be you. Because I just experienced fire on Mount Carmel. This must be you. It's got to be you. And we're told that God wasn't in that. See, oftentimes in our Christian walk, if you've walked with him uh, longer and and have experienced God and have had these kinds of encounters, we become very familiar with his ways, don't we? We sometimes think that we figure God out, we begin to put him in a box, and we tell God you could do this, but you can't do that, and we begin to kind of think that we know him. And we're just scratching the surface. That we sometimes become presumptuous into thinking, God, um, I can tell who you are, and I can tell how you work. I can, I can tell. But God wants to remind us through Elijah that he would surprise us, that he would throw curveballs, that his ways are higher, his thoughts are much deeper and higher than our thoughts and our ways, right? Fourthly, we're told, But God revealed himself to him in a gentle whisper, a sound of thin silence. I have a friend who's a scholar, and he told me that in Hebrew, this whisper can be compared to a snowflake, a sound of a snowflake touching the ground. And if we could hear that somehow with some machines, that was the kind of sound that he heard. And when he reacts and responds by covering his face, that means he saw the glory of God. He saw the majesty of God in in that encounter. When you and I see the, the majesty of God and encounter him afresh, we will be restored. We will be renewed. Now remember, he had... He had been ministered physically, mentally, emotionally. Now this is the spiritual component that he really needed to resume his ministry. Psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. We only quote that verse, but the following immediate verse says, so that the nations will know who I am. You see, the reason why God revealed himself to Elijah and the reason why he wants to reveal himself in in fresh new ways based on scripture is that he wants the nations to know. He wants our neighbors to know. He wants our friends to know. He wants our family members to know. He wants others to know God. This, be still and know that I am God. You know, I'm, I'm really wrestling with that verse. I, I love that verse. Kind of similar to what a brother was sharing, that we learn to wait upon him, learn to be still, not run ahead. Notice the verse doesn't say, be busy and know that I'm God. It doesn't say, like, be doing ministry for me and know that I am God. Just be still. I don't know about you, but 
I feel like God is calling us Christians today in this metropolitan, just tri-state, busy area, is to be modern-day monks. Not, I mean, not go into some seclusion or join the monastery, but even in our rat race, even in this busy, hectic pace, that we carve out time where we're not rushed, where the phone is not buzzing, where we're just putting everything aside and saying, God, here I am. Speak, Lord. Like the boy Samuel, for your servant is listening. Unless you listen to God's voice in this whisper, we're not going to make it. We're we're just going to be burnt out. We're just going to hear what the world is telling us to do, to be important, to be significant. We're going to, I mean, as Christians, we're going against the grain. We're like salmon, just fishing against the stream, the narrow way, which leads to life. And unless we be still and hear the whisper of God, his words to us, we're just going to let the world squeeze us into its mold, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're not going to bear much fruit. We're not going to be the Sermon on the Mount people where we're different from the religious Pharisees, but we're also different from the non-believers who pursue after what they want to eat or drink or the next bucket list, next vacation. We're going to let Instagram, we're going to let these bombard the world, the flesh, the boasts of what we have and what we have achieved. We're going to just succumb to that. So we need to drive out noise. Be like King David who said in Psalm 42, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, and I will yet praise him. Sometimes we, I don't know who said this, I think it was Dr. Lloyd-Jones who, who said in that classic book, Spiritual Depression, oftentimes as believers, we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. Often as believers, we let the world tell us a lot of things and ourselves tell us a lot of things when we should be talking to ourselves, just like David did. Sometimes we need to just kick ourselves on the butt and say, why so downcast, Joe? Christ died for you. He rose again. You've experienced his goodness and his faithfulness in the past. Why are you doubting him now? We need to talk to ourselves. Joe, you're, you're, you're not a has-been. Now, I should think, like, I'm 54 now, by the way. And, um, and I, I was pastor. I was a lead pastor of a church for about seven years. And uh, during COVID 2020 and 2021, my oldest son just hit a severe depression. Suicidal. It was really bad. And I was trying to kind of keep my house stuff, you know, from, from the leadership of the church because I didn't want to burden them and... And I just want to, you know, we were seeing counseling, marriage counseling. Uh, my, my son was seeing his, his, he was 13 years old. He was seeing his one-on-one counseling, sometimes twice a week, family counseling. I mean, that we were just seeking God and desperate to get better so that we can just say to the church, you know, uh, we, we went through this and uh, we were in a better place. And, um, um, you know, I'm sorry I didn't share from the beginning, but this, is, this has been my journey. I was hoping that, things would get better. But when it was not getting better after a year, over a year, I told the leadership, hey, um, I need a leave of absence. If not, um, you know, I'll resign uh, because my family has been going through some really tough time. 
especially my older son. And with that, marriage was just, there was so much tension, different approach, different parenting approach, that things were just really tough. And they said, you know what, take a leave of absence. And uh, they generously gave me at least like three months and, and uh, you know, focus on the family, right? And I knew by end of like uh, the third month that we weren't there yet. We weren't there yet. So I said, uh, um, so I told the leadership, and they said, you know what, take one more month. Because I really believe they wanted me to get back. But, you know, you can't put a deadline, right? You can't put a deadline on, on just this restoration and healing. So, but I also understood that from the leadership and organizational perspective, I didn't want to leave them hanging. So I said, you know what, here's my resignation letter. I want the church to move on. I want you guys to start searching. And I know God will take care of it. And, and they were very supportive and... and um, and um, God met me. It's still a work in progress. And I, and I used to think, God, you know, I, uh, I'm doing youth ministry now. And, and, um, and I used to think, I used to hear myself, you're, you're a husband. You know, you're, you're going back to youth ministry. Uh, back then, they used to consider youth ministry as a stepping stone to become like a leader, head pastor, and so forth. But that wasn't my mind. But the devil was really attacking and as I was searching my soul and really reevaluating, reassessing, where do I get my core identity? Is it what I've achieved, what I've failed to achieve? Is it those earthly things? And as I began to be still, God began to whisper, Joe, you're my son, in whom I was always pleased before you even entered ministry. And you're still my son in whom I am very pleased with. And that word, that silent whisper was enough to drive out all my insecurities, all my sense of failure, all my sense of comparison games, all my sense of these this negative things. And I felt just once again revived, renewed, that I'm his child. People of God, I just wanted to encourage you today from this passage. COVID was tough especially if you had teenagers and so more, 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 te- um, more teenagers committed suicide during those COVID years than caught COVID and died. And I, when I heard that, I was just like, man, God, the church needs to rise. The church needs to rise and be an agent of healing, be an agent where, where we, we, we become the fragrance of Christ and, and as ambassadors just lead people to reconcile with God and find healing, find purpose, find meaning. And I thank God that your church that is kind of nesting, the, the church plant that met before you, you're giving them prime time. That gives me so much hope that you're sacrificing. And I hope that this church of 25, I heard 26 years in ex- of existence, would birth more. Because this Gen Z is the largest generation. And in light of Asbury revival that happened on February 7th, 14 days straight, hundreds of thousands of people flooding, flying into, driving into this small Wilmer, Kentucky of 6,000, God is up to something. In light of that, Jesus' revolution comes and reminds us what God did in the 70s. And I told my youth, we meet every Friday. You guys are the generation that God wants to do revival again, another great awakening, better than, bigger than, Jesus' revolution of the 70s. 
the great awakening of Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century. Man, I see some young people. I want to spend the second half of my life for that younger generation. Don't you guys? When the Holy Spirit comes, book of Joel said, old men will dream dreams. We've got to dream a greater Jesus revolution, a revival. Sons and daughters shall prophesy, generally speaking, they're going to reveal and share the gospel. They're going to evangelize. They're not going to let the world tell us how to be Christians by being shy and timid. They're going to boldly go out. Yes, yes with, yes, with humility, but with confidence and conviction. Yes, with truth, but love and humility. You guys can, Gen Z, you're the most tech savvy. You guys are entrepreneurs. You guys dream of being influencers. It's the largest population. I hope that this church can invest. And unless the seed plants in the ground, Jesus said, and dies, it cannot bear fruit. I hope that our, our older generation can die for the sake of the second gen, Gen Z, and usher in, again, posture ourselves and position ourselves for the greatest revival to come in the U.S. And it will happen when they encounter God. It will happen when you and I encounter God. May that be your dream, your vision, your prayer, your aspiration. Let's pray. Just want to give a moment to just respond. Just a minute or two, like, just respond to God. I, I've been like Elijah. I thought I was the only one being faithful. When you have an army that's rising up for you. That we confess, Lord, I've been just drifting, just going through the motion. Just familiar with your ways and no longer in awe and amaze at your amazing grace. God, would you drive out the lukewarmness or complacency and help me to re-engage? Jesus said the kingdom of God is taken by those who approach it violently, not in the physical violence, but in this passionate and zealous and single-minded way. You seek God with all your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you know us, that you love us. Lord, there are things that we know of ourselves that we're ashamed, but we thank you that your blood covers and cleanses. We thank you that though you know everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly, yet you demonstrated your love in that Christ died for us. Thank you. God, I pray that you would give this church gospel confidence that if God is for us, who can be against us? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that with that confidence, God, I pray that you would launch them, continue to send them out into their workplaces, into their family, into their neighborhood. Be that salt, be that light, be that different city set on a hill that would draw people to yourself, Lord. 
Holy Spirit, thank you that your presence is here, that you've spoken loudly and clearly in your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.